We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The tech company layoffs keep coming from Alphabet to Zendesk. After years of hiring and hiring and hiring, it's all a bit of a shock. But like everything else in the job market these days, the message of these layoffs is a bit muddled. The big tech companies have huge cash stockpiles and remain profitable. They're doing just fine. As for the job market generally, it's also doing just fine. Despite the Fed raising interest rates, the economy has kept chugging along, and there are persistent cries from different industries that they can't find enough people to do the work they need at the salaries they want to pay. We'll talk all about the tech layoffs, the strangeness of the job market, and hear your stories about finding and losing work. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Job market's strange out there, isn't it? I feel like I see more help wanted signs than I've ever seen in my life. And yet it also feels like we could be in a recession at any moment. And there have been these contagious tech layoffs company to company. At the same time, workers have been striking across economic sectors. It's like the pandemic has broken a few things in the economy and the bones haven't quite set. So joining us this moment to diagnose what's been going on and come to grips with the mismatches and new dynamics of this working world. We're joined by Jenny Brand. She's a professor of sociology and statistics and director of the California Center for Population Research and co-director of the Center for Social Statistics in the Department of Sociology at UCLA. Welcome, Jenny. Thanks so much for having me. We're also joined by Catherine Minshew, CEO and founder of The Muse, a career platform. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. And we've got Sinem Buber, a lead economist at ZipRecruiter, an online employment marketplace. Welcome, Sinem. Welcome. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, Sinem, maybe talk to us a little bit about these tech layoffs to start. I mean, some of these numbers are pretty big in in sort of just numbers of people. I mean, 8,000 at Salesforce, say. Um, Talk us through sort of how you see them in the context of the overall job market. Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at the data of layoffs in the big tech companies, starting from January 2022, so that's like 14 months uh, for the last 13 months, there are about 240,000 people lost mm. their jobs in big tech companies. So it's, it's, I know it sounds like a you know, big number, but let's compare it with the overall tech talent we have in our workforce. So when we look at the tech, uh, you know, tech jobs across all industries, it's about six million workers, and uh, we have about hundred more than hundred fifty million workers in the U.S. workforce. In a typical month, uh, we are generally seeing 
1.9 million people losing their jobs, you know, terminated involuntarily in the U.S. economy. That was before the pandemic. Right now, it's about 1.4 million jobs, mm. uh, you know, lost. So compared to the, you know, pre-pandemic levels, what it was in February 2020, we have about half a million fewer terminations in the U.S. So compared to these numbers, 240,000 people losing their jobs is really not that high. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So you're saying, despite the fact that the headlines are layoff, 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 that across the entire U.S. economy, half a million fewer people are actually being laid off or otherwise terminated than in the pre-pandemic period. Yes, and layoff rates are actually at record low number right now. And that's not just for the entire U.S. It's the same for California as well. In California, it's about 0.6% of the workforce terminated involuntarily. So what we're seeing in the headlines doesn't really reflect the reality of the job market across all industries right now. It's yeah. really specific, isolated to the tech companies. So interesting. We want your questions. If you have been part of this tech layoff uh, contagion among these various companies that are extremely profitable and yet laying off lots of workers. We'd love to hear from you. How are you making sense of what's happened and what do you think is happening at these companies? You can give us a call. We'd love to hear your story. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786 if you've been laid off from one of these tech companies or an adjacent firm. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. You know, Jenny Brand, you're, in your work, you focused on you know the effects of, of job loss and, and job displacement on people. What do you think is happening in this tech sector for the workers who've, who've been laid off? I mean, if the overall job market's looking pretty good, um, does that mean this is a soft landing? Like, talk to us a little bit about the dynamics. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of persuasive evidence that job loss has a range of consequences for workers' lives and that the effects persist over a long period of time. So even in contexts where unemployment is low, we see a, a far-ranging impact of losing mm -hmm. a job. And the cumulative lifetime earnings losses estimated to be roughly 20% with wage scarring observed as long as 20 years post-displacement. And displaced workers may find when they're re-employed that their jobs are of lower quality. Maybe they have less job authority or job autonomy or less flexibility or fewer benefits than compared to the job that they may have lost. And, and it ranges to all sorts of psychological impact. So, you know, it's it's associated with a lot of stressful experiences um, and psychological. You mean personal experiences like divorce and, and you know, things like that? Yeah. So even family disruption is associated with job loss, impact on children's psychological well-being. There can be geographic mobility to find new jobs, which disrupts children's schooling. So we see even this intergenerational effect um, and, you know, depressive symptoms that emerge pretty quickly, but are also long-term. And then even physical health um, in, and impact that we can see, you know, a decade later that workers have worse health than their non-displaced mm -hmm. counterparts. So it's just such a far, you know, wide-ranging impact. And and even when workers find new jobs relatively quickly in low unemployment contexts, we still see these, you know, this impactful um, mm -hmm these these consequences of displacement. And in fact, some of the psychological 
effects can be worse when there's less uh, unemployment because workers may feel more stigmatized or, or more of a sense of, you know, internalize the self-blame of losing a job. And Jenny, is that true across all sectors and across all ages? Like, I, I, what you're saying makes sense to me because they're obviously it's a traumatic experience in people's lives to just find themselves without a job um, one day. But in something like tech, where turnover and take, taking new jobs and failing and taking risks and all these kinds of things is kind of part of the culture of the industry, is it true there too? Insofar as we know from the statistics. Yeah, we see, we actually see effects on workers across industries, across occupations, and there's, of course, variation. So for workers who expected more stability, the effects aren't, um, the, the effects are worse than those workers who are in kind of a labor market in which there's more churning. But at the same time, you know, a, a lot of workers, they, it kind of comes as a shock and they weren't expecting to be laid off and uh, the reemployment difficulties can emerge, especially when industries are collectively shedding workers, like mm -hmm. we're seeing in tech, making reemployment more difficult. And and we've definitely seen the consequences of job loss kind of extend more broadly to workers across the labor market. More educated, more skilled workers still see some of these, um, you know, wide ranging consequences of, of displacement. Yeah, Catherine Minshew, CEO, founder of the Muse. Does this change the way that you think people are seeing the tech companies, which had sort of been, you know, had been kind of a kinder, gentler uh, sort of seeming employer in some cases, or at least, um, you know, uh, seemed stable and they provided tons of benefits? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, it's really interesting because um, one of the main reasons that a lot of job seekers come to the Muse is to learn more about a company's culture, their values. What is it really like to be there as an employee? And I think that there was this perception um, for a long time among some job seekers that tech was immune to some of the challenges that are known to affect other industries, um, that tech as a whole was more enlightened, more forward thinking. And that is certainly true of some companies within tech, but it's not universally true of the entire industry, just like, you know, any industry, I think, has a range of good actors, bad actors, different cultures, different work environments. And so the other thing that we've been seeing that I think is really interesting is a lot of public conversation around the way companies are handling these layoffs, which companies are being respectful in their communications, transparent with employees that are affected and employees that are not affected. You know, what severance are people offering? Um, are they providing career coaching or assistance, finding a new job. Um, you know, the the internet loves to talk about some of the negative stories of companies that really botch this very hard thing to do by handling layoffs in an insensitive way. So I think we're seeing a lot of reassessment among job seekers and some really interesting cultural conversations around how companies should do this very hard thing with empathy and with care. What does that look like? Um, and for job seekers or, or for employees, you know, what do you do if you're affected? Um, and frankly, if you're not affected, how do you process the emotions and the complexity that comes with being one of the company, uh, one of the employees that is left at one of these organizations, you know, that has to do cuts? Yeah. Jenny, I, do you think it matters a lot or a little, or can we tell from the research 
you know, how, how people are laid off. I would imagine it might have an effect on kind of the immediate psychological status of people to uh, be laid off in a, in a way that maybe has a longer severance package or that, um, you know, is just kinder in general. Yeah, I think definitely. The more that employers give advance notice and enable workers to, you know, find new jobs and make the transition, you know, less abrupt can impact some of the transition difficulties. But at the same time, it's it's still a disruption. And so we found even workers who, you know, find jobs very quickly, new jobs very quickly, it's still a disruption to their life. And so we still see some of these consequences. Of course, you know, it, having a, a gentler kind of transition and and less immediate that you're unemployed, you're without an income and have to scramble to find a new job, which makes the match between the new job more difficult to obtain a high quality match. That's going to have an impact on their long-term economic prospects, but there still can be a lot of disruption in their family and social lives, you know, that, that may even occur, even if they find a new job relatively quickly. Yeah. We're talking about recent layoffs, this strange job market and the new world of work with Jenny Brand, a professor of sociology and statistics at UCLA, Catherine Minshew, CEO and founder of The Muse, a career platform, and Sinem Buber, uh, lead economist at ZipRecruiter, an online employment marketplace. We'd love to hear from you. I mean, have you just been laid off? What's your experience been like? What are you expecting? Give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. You know, Matt wants to note that uh, I work in cannabis, this is what Matt's saying, and was laid off this month, as have many in our industry. Luckily, I found a job, no problem, but it was scary and out of the blue. My previous company hired me and paid me to do nothing while they ramped up, then laid me off once the new year hit. Was it because of a new fiscal year, less VC, higher interest rates, unreal expectation? Who knows? I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Sinem Buber, lead economist with ZipRecruiter, Catherine Mincho, CEO of The Muse, and Jenny Brand, a professor of sociology at UCLA, about these recent layoffs, the job market, and kind of the, the new world of work that we're seeing at the beginning of this year. Sinem, 
what's going on with the tech companies? Like, as an economist, you look at them, you look at their position, you see they're laying people off, you see they've been hiring all these people. You know, most of the big tech companies increased headcount from, you know, 20 to 100% uh, over the last few years. Like, what's your read on on them as companies in, in the context of these layoffs? So there, 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 there has been two big things going on with the tech companies. The first one was as the pandemic began, there was there was a surge products, right? We started working from home, we started working out from home, you know, exercising, shopping, everything. We have done it, and that created that big demand for the tech products. And that tech companies took advantage of that one and expanded their payrolls to meet the increasing demand. Uh, and in some situations, what we are seeing right now, they expanded beyond their business need, what we call as the employee hoarding, right? So they hired more people than they needed to meet the, you know, the consumer demand. And now two years into it, that expansion didn't continue the way they expected. Right now, because of the high interest rate, tech companies are actually affected uh, disproportionately from the high interest rates. So there are three things going on. First, there's a decrease in the consumer demand for their products. So they need to readjust their production levels for the you know new level and then because of the high interest rates there the current value of their future profits have been decreasing so investors are pulling their money out of the you know tech companies and the tech companies generally just the way they overreacted to uh, to increasing their payrolls they're overreacting again when it comes to cutting their payrolls as mm-hmm. well so when when their profits are going down by 1 to 5% they tend to cut the payrolls by 10 to 15% so High interest rate plus the you know fewer consumer demand put together. That's the picture we are we are reading right now. Um, just one point of clarification: Why are the tech companies more affected by higher interest rates? Like, I, just curious. So there are absolutely. So there are a couple of industries like financial services, real estate, and information services that are you know they're more interest rate sensitive than other companies like you know in manufacturing or retail trade where they can be more you know inflation uh, sensitive, mm-hmm. right? So what's going on is when the interest rates are much higher, what we call as the net present value, the the value of their company goes down significantly. And you're going to see it from their stock prices. The stock prices go down significantly for those companies, which make them, you know, two things. First, borrowing will be way more costly for those companies to make further investment in their business. And the second, investors will think that these companies are not profitable uh, in the future. So they will start pulling their money out of those companies. Thanks so much. Let's uh, let's take a call real quick. Let's go to uh, Becca in Sunnyvale. Welcome, Becca. Good morning. I was going to say when my husband got laid off from a tech job in uh, the South Bay over 10 years ago, he found that he wasn't so thrown as his other workers because he was involved in other things in the community, like mm-hmm. his church and an orchestra and a lot of other people uh, just had their job as center of their life, and they felt more thrown. Their identity was more threatened. Mm, such an interesting point, Jenny. Can you talk to us uh, a little bit about that? Like, are there factors that generate resilience among people who who have been laid off? Maybe you know, like a like a broader array of activities outside the job. Yeah, I think that um, you know, to the extent that. Jobs generally constitute this fundamental social role and source of identity. And so the disruption to status, Mm -hmm. you know, demonstration of competence and skill and all the structure of relations 
can can really impact workers' lives. And to the extent that maybe some workers are less, you know, tied into that that source of identity and status and uh, have other avenues by which they, they demonstrate competence and skill and have a structure of relationships that are less affected by their job loss, mm -hmm. then, you know, maybe there's more um less of the psychological and social ramifications of of the loss of a job you know on on average it it actually even impacts worker social participation so workers mm -hmm. are more likely to withdraw from their communities when they lose their job and of course that has this ripple effect of then there are fewer networks by which to find new jobs or mm -hmm. to get information so for workers that do maintain involvement with their community and family and friends and then I think the consequences, you know, can be less severe in, in a number of facets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's bring in another voice into our conversation. Parul Kahl is a software engineer at Google and executive chair of the Alphabet Workers Union. Welcome, Parul. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. So, I, you know, I just want to get off the top. What's your perspective on the recent layoffs in tech? What do you think is driving them? Yeah, I agree with a lot a lot of what's been said, but something that I want to talk about as, you know, being a, a tech worker myself who experienced a wave of layoffs at Google last week and also being part of a union is the difference that the union has been able to make. Um, it's a scary time when, uh, you know, people lose their jobs and especially when people lose their jobs in a way that seems almost senseless. You see, you know, highly tenured, like, strong performers with, with great track records being cut from the company, essentially losing their jobs over email in the middle of the night. And I think being part of a union, being part of an organization has been an incredible source of strength for myself and our broader membership. We've seen thousands of workers over the past week and a half engage with us at a scale that mm -hmm. we haven't seen in the past. And people really coming together and trying to make sense of what's happened and uh, you know, learning how to how to fight back in the face of what is probably the you know the biggest attack on working conditions and workers morale that we've seen at Google in you know in two decades um I especially want to highlight something happening this week we have a contingent of workers who are search readers um who have been fighting this uh, for months well, pause for, for one second can you um Pearl, can you explain what a search raider is just so people kind of yeah absolutely um so search readers are uh you know have been referred to as, as shadow workers but they're folks who basically rate the quality of uh, ads uh, that you see on Google search, as well as the quality of results you see on Google search. They do really important work for the Google search business as a whole. And many of them are subcontracted workers who until the beginning of this year were making as little as $10 an hour and hadn't seen raises in like a decade. And so uh, Raiders as part of our, our union fought this campaign for the past several months and at the beginning of this year won a wage increase that sees you know some people's wages go up to 14 14 15 an hour um and they're going to be coming to mountain view this wednesday uh to to deliver an open letter to search leadership and it's just a powerful example of how tech workers are coming together and fighting back mm -hmm. in the face of a very difficult time in our industry and you feel like, as you said at the top, that these layoffs have actually helped your organizing efforts as maybe tech workers who'd kind of seen their relationship with management as one thing have discovered maybe it's another way and they'd like to have more formal representation in those discussions? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a, the moment to really, um, you know, go out there and talk about the union difference, right? Because so many major tech companies have seen thousands and thousands of jobs be cut. And it's a situation that can easily lead to, you know, demoralization and, uh, you know, as others mentioned, being cut off from the community and social withdrawal in general. And this is really the moment for us to put our voices out there and talk about how our workplaces could be different if we had a real sense of agency and um, you know, had a voice in shaping our workplaces on the whole, even as the companies navigate you know, uncertain economic circumstances and a changing overall business landscape. Yeah. Pearl, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about a story that came out this morning uh, by Brian Merchant in the Los Angeles Times. Uh, I'm just going to quote you from it for a second here. Controlling labor costs via periodic layoffs is like breathing for Silicon Valley. Cyclical, necessary for life, said Malcolm Harris, who's an author. The layoffs, Harris says, have very little to do with long or even medium term strategy, except as it pertains to cultivating an insecure workforce. Um, Now, we're Merchant is writing again. That tracks with the economic reality we do face today, because while a recession has not yet arrived in any meaningful form, there is another economic indicator pointing to the desirability of layoffs from a large employer's perspective, a growing effort to organize tech workers in an unusually tight labor market. Do you think that's what's going on, that this is sort of a um, that the layoffs are a way of kind of destabilizing workers so that they you know worry about their jobs and not about organizing with you? I think that's definitely a factor. I'm really glad you brought up that piece. I think it's an excellent piece and everyone should read it. Um, but, you know, the the broader point about the fact that layoffs cultivate an insecure workforce, I think that couldn't be more true. We know that tech employee salaries have been, have been growing. And um, this is a way for people to sort of stop thinking about that and their economic leverage and really, uh, you know, be grateful that they still have a job in a very uncertain time. Um, and I think it's it's a sign that some of the work that we're doing to organize the tech industry is growing. And the most important message I want to put out there is that we need to continue doing it, um, you know, the way these search traders are, or the way, uh, you know, my union is, or the Zenimax union, which is a, a, a union of organized workers at Microsoft. Um, I think these are really powerful examples that we need to be forefronting so that um, we actually use these moments to become stronger and not just, you know, take these attacks on our, our livelihoods and the standards of jobs in our industry. Yeah. Hey, Perul, thank you so much. That was uh, Perul Call, software engineer at Google, uh, who's executive chair of the Alphabet uh, Workers Union. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Jenny, I mean, uh, Jane Brand, professor of sociology at UCLA. I know your work primarily focuses on people who've been displaced, but what do we know about what layoffs do inside a company, the people who've stayed? Yeah, the the workers who don't get laid off, of course, get kind of a signal that their jobs are less secure and p- potentially that they should feel some kind of gratitude that they weren't the workers who lost their jobs. So I, I think it's you know definitely true that it, it tries to place more power in the hands of employers and that's happening just as you know workers were in some ways gaining more power as there were more vacancies and demand for workers and um more unionization and collective action on uh gaining better benefits and more flexibility at work and so you can't see these layoffs as potentially a way to you know generate more insecurity and and create a different environment for workers who haven't lost their jobs and so that they, you know, feel that they have to 
perform at perform at a higher level um, or you know not demand some of the things that they they may have been wanting in their jobs because they could get laid off mm-hmm. um, so it definitely you know sends a signal yeah yeah I mean just some of the stories are starting to come in of you know what's happened um, to folks here one, one listener writes in to say, I was laid off with less than 12 hours notice through mass communication. Then the machine shut off. Uh, I was 100% remote for a Web3 company and was stranded in San Diego for more than 24 hours before I could get home. This was the fourth time I've been laid off via Zoom. There's not this physical context to solidify that I no longer work with that company, so it takes longer to grieve and prepare for the next step. Man, I'm sorry that's, uh, that's happened. That sounds bad. Um, we would love to hear from you if you've been, you know, displaced in your job, if you've lost your job uh, in this recent round of layoffs. We'd love to hear just what your experience has been like and what your plans are. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. Um, Catherine Minshew, like on the hiring side, right, people who are looking at at workers are you seeing anything different in the people that you're talking to and on your your platform for the way that people are kind of approaching um hiring at this time in this kind of strange economy yeah we we are and it's been interesting because i think the current the current state of things which as we've been talking about um consists of a lot of very mixed economic signals It's leading a lot of smaller businesses um, and businesses that are very exposed to the tech market to be much more cautious while we're seeing other industries, um, including, you know, healthcare, um, some parts of finance and energy are full speed ahead. So you've got this very interesting situation where some employers are seeing this as a great opportunity to pick up a lot of really top talent. They're seeing it as an opportunity to find great people who are out there looking for work, um, and they still consider themselves to be in a very competitive hiring environment. That said, we have a lot of other employers on the Muse who are pulling back. Most companies, other than the the very smallest or the most affected, are still hiring. We have a lot of new business, a lot of employers that um, need to fill roles vacated by people who have left. You know, they have particular growth initiatives that they need to staff for, but it's certainly made many hiring managers more cautious. Um, and, you know, I would say that the the um, HR departments are, are very much trying to assess what is going to happen in the next few months because no one wants to bring people in um, if they're not going to have a long tenure at the company. Yeah. You know, a listener tweets just about, you know, what we said at the top of the show, you know, thank you for saying can't hire workers at the wage that companies want to pay. This listener notes there isn't a labor shortage. There's a salary shortage. Have you seen companies on your on your platform, the Muse, start to move salaries up? Continue to move salaries up? Um, have they uh, changed their approach that way? Yes, absolutely. Um, we have definitely seen this this pressure on wages, and I would agree, by the way, with the individual who wrote in. I think that the gap that exists right now is that a lot of employers are not offering positions, salaries, or workplaces that job seekers want to take. Mm -hmm. They are either not paying enough, 
they are not doing enough to communicate to job seekers why they're a great place to work, why someone should choose them. And so while we do have certain sectors where there's an imbalance between uh, you know, roles available and people looking for work, the much wider imbalance that I'm seeing day to day on the news um, is around what employers are offering. And mm -hmm. so I think the smart and savvy companies, those that are looking at the data and that are prioritizing hiring right now, um, they are starting to move up on salary. They're starting to think about which benefits packages they may need to offer to both attract and retain great folks. Um, but again, it is, um, you know, it's certainly not evenly distributed across the board. I think there are other companies who are taking advantage of the volatility and the uncertainty in the market to say, we don't have to be better. There will be people out there that are just looking for anything. Uh, but I do think over time, we're seeing a gap widen between those employers that are more strategic and intentional about how they recruit and how they retain, um, and those that continue to treat people more as a, you know, as a, as a kind of ever-renewing commodity, which mm. we're seeing not the case. Yeah. You know, Sina, I, I think it's just been a little bit surprising that the job market has remained so strong and unemployment has remained so low. But there are these big kind of structural forces that have been contributing to that, right? Absolutely. So one of them is, as you mentioned, so the inflation is very high. Interest rates are, you know, going higher and higher as the Federal Reserve is trying to keep the, you know, prices under control. What's happening in the economies right now, you might expect the employment gains to slow down more significantly than what we are seeing right now. You might expect the wage growth to slow down even further than what we are seeing right now. But when we look at the business side, the corporate profits are still very strong. It's actually skyrocketing much higher than what we had seen before the pandemic. Consumer demand is still very strong. People had excess savings and the, you know, the financial aid uh, they got from the government during the pandemic. We couldn't you know, spend any money right now, despite the high inflation rate. People are still spending money. So the consumers are strong. Businesses are strong. That's why we're seeing you know, majority of the businesses still continue with their hiring plans and the consumers still continue with their you know, consumption patterns because they're able to get the wage growth that they want in the market still. That's why the economy is still strong, despite all the you know, efforts Federal Reserve is putting out there to keep the you know, price under control and slow down the economy so to get rid of this overheating that we are seeing. We're talking about recent layoffs, the still strong job market, new world work with CNN Bubert lead economist at ZipRecruiter, Catherine Minshew, CEO and founder of the Music Career Platform, Jenny Brand, professor of sociology at UCLA. And earlier in the segment, we were joined by Parul Call, software engineer at Google and executive chair of the Alphabet Workers Union. We're going to get to a bunch more of your calls right after the break. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about recent tech layoffs, which have hit our Bay Area pretty hard uh, recently. The job market as it exists right now and the, the world of work. We're joined by Jenny Brand, sociologist at UCLA, Catherine Minshew, CEO and founder of The Muse, a career platform, and Sinem Buber, lead economist at ZipRecruiter. Let's bring in Stan from South San Francisco. Welcome, Stan. Well, thank you very much. Uh, this is a, a complicated topic that I could probably talk for hours and hours on, but I'll try to make my question, my uh, comments brief. Um, you know, I moved uh, from Canada in 2000, and I can't count the number of times I've been laid off, went through rifts, uh, you know, corporate restructurings. It's incredible. I think one of the key problems is, you know, this, this at-will environment. It doesn't exist in most places of the world. Most countries, at least uh, um, uh, industrialized countries, have better protection for workers. I think that, number one, that this has to be reviewed at the state or federal level, give more protections to, uh, to uh, workers. The job market might be strong, but it's not strong for everybody. I, mm-hmm. I can't tell you. I've been laid off again January 10th on the application. I actually started a month earlier how many uh, applications I put out and you know, the number of interviews I've had are, you know, and counting the number of, you know, less than uh, less than 10. I'll count them on one hand. The other thing I, you know, other comment I'd like to make is since since I've been here and certainly since 2000, this outsourced work, you know, bringing in uh, contract work. Most of these firms are uh, are, you know, outside the United States. I think that that's a wild west. That that also needs to be controlled. Mm. You know, contract works or contracting companies should be mostly U.S. based or national based. And I think that most of that revenue, they take a big chunk of it, should stay within the United States. So I think there's got to be a, a big reform, both at the national and regional level. Uh, and again, I have, I can I can go on and on. No, Stan, but, um, it's very. It's super interesting, and you know, um, thanks for sharing your experience with us. I'm sorry, sorry about the the job as well. You know, Jenny uh, Brand um, from UCLA. I mean, what do you think? Like our United States at will employment picture, um, does it do right by our workers? Yeah, I would agree with the comment that um, in other countries, especially European countries, the benefits for displaced workers are much much more generous and um, a social safety net that makes job loss not as consequential for workers. And so we've seen that the 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 consequences and the impact is not nearly as severe as it is in the U.S. Um, I mean, generally, you know, job fluidity is a normative feature of the U.S. labor market, but and it the idea is that increases economic efficiency, but the costs of that fluidity are unequally distributed and they're mm. borne largely by displaced workers and those closest to them. And then even, you know, workers who remain who in jobs who may have more job insecurity and that has an impact on their lives as well. 
Um, so I think, you know, alleviating the, the economic and the social burden of displacement is something that, uh, that we, we should do collectively. Yeah. And I mean, what do we know about those types of uh, European programs that soften the blow of displacement or just have a, you know, more complete social safety net so that losing a job is not as, as disastrous as it can be here in the U.S.? Like, what does it actually do economically for those countries to do that? Yeah, I mean, for, you know, it's it's definitely a different type of mentality of how we redistribute um, you know, benefits and income to the population. So, so it's, it's a different model than we've had in the U S and, um, but it, it means for workers that the, the, a job loss just won't have the same kind of disruption that it does here. And so, you know, it creates a, a fully different environment of, of work and life and, um, mm -hmm. general well being for workers and, uh, in the country. Yeah. Um, Peter, one of our listeners, uh, wrote in to say companies in the U S are shooting themselves in the foot with layoffs, severance package, rehiring cost on boom, lower valuation in Switzerland and Germany. There is Kurzarbeit. Uh, maybe I said that right. Short work instead of laying off 10%, they ask employees to work 90%, a win-win for, for workers and companies. Um, totally different situation there, uh, in, in Germany. Um, you know, there is another um, comment. This, this, some of these stories are so wild. Um, a listener writes in to say, I'm a product manager that was hired at Amazon about six months ago. I was laid off via email along with the other five members of my team. It seems we were laid off according to the principle of last in, first out. Shortly following the layoff, the director of our org offered us the option to work with this third-party agency as hourly contractors through the end of the year, I believe the hope is to hire folks back to Amazon when economic conditions improve. I'll likely take this offer, at least in the short to medium term, to bridge the gap to full-time employment. You know, I, you know, Jen, I guess I want to take this one to you. I mean, how should people, like, it's really a question to me about the ethics of a company doing that. Um, what do you think? Jenny? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that. That again, it's it's like you know some of the workers who remain in jobs relative to the ones that are displaced. I mean, all those kinds of mechanisms create a certain insecurity in the workplace, and and we know that you know that type of insecurity has a lot of harm for workers too. So there's. Um, <laughs> There's there's displacement and there's other ways that you maintain workers, but create an environment that makes it where they have they have less power in the mm -hmm. workplace, less bargaining power, you know, fewer benefits, and um, that kind of insecure environment takes a toll. Yeah. Let's bring in another car. Let's go to uh, Marie in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi. Can hey, you hear Marie. me? Yeah, sure can. Welcome. Yeah, I just wanted to bring up a different perspective, which was, um, or, or an additional perspective, which is that I recently uh, interviewed, and the first interview was with the, the HR person, and they were absolutely unprofessional, didn't even know or understand the company they were hiring for. They didn't understand the position they were hiring for, and had I 
allowed my impression of that company mm-hmm. to be based on that HR person. Um, I would have never pursued an, a, an additional interview, at, which was offered to me. And I ended up working for the company for a while. But the the you know the companies are hiring all these young, well, not even young, just HR people that are don't seem to be maybe inexperienced. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting point. I mean, Catherine Minshew, I'm I'm assuming you deal with a lot of different HR folks uh, on your platform, the Muse, and um, that it is its own career, its own skill set. What would you say about that? Yeah, it really is, and and it's a career path that is undergoing a lot of change right now. Um, you know, as mentioned, on one part of the profession, you often have a lot of usually well-meaning but um, early career professionals who may be navigating layoffs or economic volatility for for the um, first time. We also see that the you know the function of HR, I think, is going through a little bit of a of an identity crisis. Um, you have some individuals who see their primary responsibility as protecting the company through compliance, through ensuring that everything is in order. Um, but there's also a pretty large part of HR and talent um, that sees their role as championing the employee's needs and championing the relationship between the individual employees and the organization in a way that will ultimately lead to healthy long-term relationships. Um, it's fascinating seeing how many people right now who are leading um, you know, HR at organizations that, first of all, don't want to be called HR. A lot of them want to be called talent, uh, people development, et cetera. Um, and many of them are actually from other functions. They've been leading teams or working in um, parts of the business that are, you know, traditionally uh, very close to strategic decision making, um, sales, technology, marketing, and they've realized our people are key to our success, and we are not hiring them, engaging them, um, advancing them, even exiting them in a way that best supports the long term business. And so, to you know, give you a very kind of simple example of this transition in practice. A lot of recruiters and talent acquisition professionals who work with the Muse are historically used to looking at things like, you know, the cost per click of an application Um, to measure whether their hiring is successful. This new wave of talent leaders would say, it's not about how cheaply we can buy a click or buy an applicant. It's about whether we hire the right person, how long they stay, do hires from certain channels get promoted more frequently? Are there more happy, productive, successful employees? Um, There's also obviously a huge um, move to consider a company's diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives as really core to its talent strategy. And so I think we're seeing some organizations that are asking for a lot more from HR, um, but it's it's very much, uh, I would say, an active debate and discussion going on within the industry. Um, And it's also why I think you know, job seekers and individuals are having very different experiences mm-hmm. in you know, interviewing, in in layoffs, um, and and part of it is how does the company view the role of HR and talent? How do they view their relationship to their own employees, um, and how are they thinking about talent and their reputation vis-a-vis talent as you know an essential or a disposable part of their reputation over time? We've got another uh, listener who writes in to say, I was laid off from a design firm that exceeded their financial goals for 2022. Last fall, we spoke openly about the looming recession and were told layoffs would not take place. 
Following the holidays, three employees, including myself, were abruptly laid off. As a small team of 50, we were often praised by the CEO as being a tight-knit family. It's incredibly disruptive to one's life and mental health to be dropped from a, quote, work family with no explanation, locked out of online work accounts within 10 minutes and not given the dignity to say farewell to colleagues and collaborators. I question how many of these layoffs are legitimately necessary. Where is humanity in business? I've learned repeatedly through economic waves in my career that humanity does not exist. You know, Jenny, I'm wondering around... You know, when I was coming up in my career in early 2000s, there it seemed like there was a lot of this kind of talk like, oh, we're we're a family. You know, we are this tight knit group. But it was kind of the the management um, new modality to sort of have things seem like everyone was on the you know, on the same team. Do you feel like that particular way of talking about being in a company um, makes things better or worse? Could didn't we have research looked at that? I mean, not that specifically, but I, you know, I would, I would say that the the shock of the layoff is is particularly harmful, and so the more that employers generate a culture in which uh, layoff is really unexpected, and then nevertheless they um, start laying off workers. That that as as the person wrote and said it, it's it's extremely psychologically harmful and can cause a lot of um, depression and you know stress and um, lower self esteem self acceptance. I mean, all the especially when it's a somewhat targeted layoff where workers feel mm-hmm. like you know. The, start questioning their own performance, even even if it's, you know, largely beyond the um, workers' performance and it's about economic conditions at the firm. You know, those those targeted layoffs, unexpected layoffs, really seem like they have a big impact on workers' psychological well-being, physical health, social involvement, and family relations, and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Let's uh, bring in Elizabeth in Oakland. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a mother of two young adults in their 20s. My younger child will get his bachelor's degree this spring. And I, I just would like to ask your comments on the observation that this is somewhat anti-educational, that uh, it seems to me like many of the layoffs are taking place among jobs that require an education, whereas grocery stores, Amazon, you know, Pete's and Starbucks are are hiring. So um, I'll appreciate your comments on that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Sina Buber, lead economist with ZipRecruiter. I mean, are you are you seeing that that essentially, you know, jobs that um, require less education are continue to boom? Um, whereas some of the the jobs that require more education or, or a greater um, you know kind of certification of skill um, are less in demand. Yes, absolutely. That's an, that's actually an amazing observation. That just a couple of months ago we were talking about a white collar recession because you know most of the economists are expecting a, a significant slowdown or potentially a recession in 2023, and we are expecting that to affect if it, ha- if it happens affected to the white collar jobs disproportionately compared to the blue collar jobs. 
And not only that, uh, but also we are seeing the companies because of the labor shortages, we are seeing the companies, even for the, you know, high paying, you know, mid skill set jobs, opening the doors for, you know, people who do not have a formal college education, if they have the skill set. So the labor market is quite favorable favorable right now to the blue collar jobs and workers who do not have the high you know educational credentials that they generally are you know asked to have in a in, in a you know, different labor market that's so interesting i mean you know that's there's a, a sense in which it's good that those jobs are are uh still booming through this through this time um lance writes in to say you know i was laid off a couple of years ago not from tech as a 50-year-old man, it made finding work difficult in the height of the pandemic. I feel for those out of work. It's very stressful. And we hear about the layoffs via email, Zoom, et cetera, and the cold callousness of it. Do you think remote work and the lack of human connection makes it easier to hire and fire? What do you think, Catherine Minshew? Yeah, um, you know, this is something that we've heard from a number of people, and I think there's some truth in it. When employees are together in person, it tends to be easier to form deep relationships and in some cases also to understand the full picture of an employee's contribution to the company. One of the challenges with remote work is it puts a little bit more of the burden on the employee to communicate with their manager, their colleagues, uh, potentially their manager's manager to make sure that those around them understand what they're doing, the successes they're having. Um, in an office, sometimes it is easier and more self-evident uh, what, uh, what a person's putting in. That's not, by the way, to say that I personally think being in an office is better, just mm -hmm. that it's different in some very fundamental ways mm -hmm. and we need to understand that. Last couple uh, listener comments. Dave writes in to say, just want to point out that while perhaps not as big in employee numbers, I believe there are more venture-backed firms that have been cutting headcount recently than the, quote, profitable big tech firms. Investors are aiming for more conservative valuations, and that means a lower burn rate. It's the pendulum swinging back towards growth at a reasonable price from the growth at any price that we were seeing up until recently. And Jeff writes in to say, Anyone going into a tech career expecting stability is ignoring many decades of performance. I've been through many layoffs. They are unpleasant and they are challenging, but they're also expected. We've been talking about the recent tech layoffs, the job market, and this strange world of work with Catherine Minshew, CEO and founder of The Muse, a career platform. Jenny Brand, a professor of sociology and statistics who studies job displacement, among other things, at the University of California, Los Angeles as well as Sinem Boober, lead economist with ZipRecruiter, an online employment marketplace. Earlier, we were joined by Parul Call, software engineer at Google and executive chair of Alphabet Workers Union. Thank you so much to all of our guests, as well as all of you listeners who shared your stories. I wish the best for everyone who's lost uh, their work. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.